Hi, I'm Edwin. And I'm Andrew. Two men. Fifteen minutes. Eternal impact. Welcome to Text Talk. His glory I will see. I will hey Edwin, let's start something. Let's start it right now. What do you want to start? I want to start talking about Psalm 7. Psalm 7. I'm reading today from the New International Version. Is that all right with you? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. A Shigeon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. O Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have done evil to him who is at peace with me or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you. Rule over them from on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. O righteous God, who searches minds and hearts, bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. He who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. The violence comes down on his own head. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Well, why don't we pick up a little bit on our last conversation when we were talking about that 25-cent word of imprecation. Imprecation. Right, an imprecatory psalm. And so here's the idea. Imprecation means calling God to judge or even calling down a curse, mm-hmm. right, yep. on on um, on the wicked or the oppressor of the psalmist, and and so there are various psalms that have this flavor, this element to them, and uh, some are, are quite uh, graphic in the kind of judgment that they would like to see. We were talking a little bit yesterday about this one is is actually pretty stern. You know, you've got God who is sharpening his sword, getting out his arrows, setting them on fire. So it's like God the warrior. Coming after the wicked, and yet as the psalm continues on, um, we see uh, what that might look like in the real world, or at least how God would act to foil the plans of the wicked by catching them in their own plans, catching them in their own pit. You dig a pit, and you fall into your own pit. How about that? You uh, program a bomb, and you blow up on your own bomb. Which, by the way, that old phrase, hoisted on your own petard, that's what it means. Uh, that you build a bomb and you blow yourself up? Yep. That's a petard <laughs> is a bomb. Okay. Yep. And so when you when you hear that phrase, oh, he was hoisted on his own petard, it means that he fashioned a bomb and it blew up on him. And it blew up on mm-hmm. him. Or hung on your own gallows. I think we've heard that story in yeah. the scripture. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a great Bible illustration of this very issue, isn't it? That uh, in the book of Esther, you read about the plotting of the evil Haman and how he wanted to commit genocide throughout the empire and kill all of the Jews. 
and uh, particularly because he is offended, affronted by Mordecai, and uh, he has crafted in his mind the idea that I'm going to get Mordecai across with the king, and uh, he built a huge gallows in his own yard with the idea that we will hang Mordecai in these gallows and make a public spectacle. And yet when uh, Queen Esther turns the tables on Mordecai and the king calls for his death, the eunuchs, the servants, are quick to say, well, he has built gallows in his own yard. <laughs> We've got it. We don't have to waste any time. <laughs> well, then go hang him on his own gallows. And that's Esther chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so David here in this psalm demonstrates that this is how God's wrath plays out. A lot of times when we hear about God's wrath and anger, we think just about that first half. He's fashioning his arrows. He's wetting his sword. He's he's going to come in as this warrior that, this, that just strikes down. That's all very graphic, illustrative language. Mm-hmm. That's all very figurative language, poetic language. But then he turns around and says, here's what it looks like, just as you said a minute ago. It, it looks like falling into your own pit. It doesn't look like getting your head lopped off by God. It looks like God lets you just suffer the consequences of your own sinful actions. You dug the pit, you fall into it. You dug the pit for the righteous, you fall into your own pit. Your mouth said the sinful things, you are now given over to the folly of your own mouth. There, there's a, actually in Ecclesiastes, yeah. there's a similar statement that's made here. I'm not sure I fully understand all that it means in the context of Ecclesiastes, but I do see some things that are similar. So uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, okay. verse 8, he who digs a pit will fall into it. Well, that sounds very familiar, so doesn't if it? If Solomon has written Ecclesiastes, then I think I know where Solomon heard this. He heard this <laughs> from his dad. He who digs a pit will fall into it. A serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits log is in, logs is endangered by them. In, in Ecclesiastes, this almost sounds like the time and chance thing. That Look, right. you're just doing your job and things happen. With the log, uh, because yeah. He, because he goes on in verse 10, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. So in in Ecclesiastes, it almost seems like we're just talking about, hey, time and chance happens to everybody. But then we get to verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. So we move from all these things about the person digging a pit and falling in, the person breaking a hole in the wall, getting bit by a snake, a charmer that doesn't work, to... Yeah, your own words will consume you. If you live in folly and speak folly, that's going to turn around and bite and devour you. Again, God's wrath is meted out by, it, it's it's not so much God coming in and attacking you as much as God pulling his protective hands away and saying, okay, I'm now going to let you deal with what you've started. Yeah, and it's not just God's wrath we talked about that in one of our conversations this week about how he is angry with the wicked every day verse 11 of psalm 7 but where does that verse begin god is a just judge mm. and there is a justice to you receive 
the wicked and the evil you intended on another. Um, again, a, a concept um, in the Sermon on the Mount uh, about being merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And uh, the measure by which you measure, you will be measured. Uh, and, and it comes back on you. And so for someone that is devising evil and wickedness, awful things towards another people, be careful what you're wishing. Be careful what you're planning. Uh, that may very well come back on you. And that would be just. I'm trying to remember now. I may not be able to find this before we're done, but I'm studying Joshua in one of the classes that I'm teaching. And, and I recall one of the passages we talked about the other night where God talks about the fact that with the people in the land, what he has done is he has removed his protection from them. Yeah. I know a lot of times folks look at what Israel does to the, to the Canaanites, and, and it's horrific. Um, today, critics would speak against it as God is this genocidal maniac, but what the Scripture actually demonstrates is that God was bringing judgment, and Israel was the tool of judgment. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that— when God spoke to Abraham and first told him, one of these days your family is going to be in this land, he says, but not right now mm-hmm. because their iniquity is not full. Mm-hmm. They don't deserve that kind of judgment in this land yet. Mm-hmm. But the day is going to come yeah. when they deserve that kind of judgment. And when that day comes, that's when your people will be the instrument of my judgment upon this people. And and again, the way he describes it is not, you know, I'm I'm – angry coming in mad with my attack as I am removing my protective hand. Mm. I have been keeping you lifted up. I've been protecting you from the natural consequences of the way you've been acting. Now I'm removing that. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's the same thing he says to Israel again and again and again. I think in uh, Deuteronomy 4, I was reading Deuteronomy 4 actually this morning. And what God says to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 4, as he says, look, I'm calling heaven and earth to you. I don't want you making any carved images. This is about verse 25. I don't want you making any carved images. But if you do, here's what's going to happen. Verse 27, Deuteronomy 4, 27. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. And the, the idea here is, Okay, if what you want to do is serve gods that can't see or hear or smell, gods who who are powerless, who are made of wood, then what I will do is I will drive you into their nation so you can. And then let's see what good that is for you. How does that help you? Does that protect you? What do you suffer there? Again, it's that idea of God removing his cloak of protection and just leaving them up to their own devices and the end of their own sins. I'll have to say that when I think about that situation, like with the Israelites, the way they were being warned about don't go the way of the Canaanites, um, even looking at a Haman in the book of Esther, why can't we learn from these things? Mm. <laughs> why, why do we find, still find ourselves sometimes and in our worst moments, uh, you know, scheming, plotting, setting little traps, yeah. and, and thinking somehow that uh, it won't go the same way for us? I commit sin, and then I'm upset because it messes up my relationships. Yeah. And I, why, God, won't you do anything about this? I, well, I mean, you know, I told you, don't mm-hmm. act like that. Yeah. I told you for a reason. Yeah. What I set before you was life. Mm-hmm. I set before you life, the mm-hmm. path of life. Uh, but you, you did your own thing, and now you live with that. Now, ultimately, 
ultimately what our sin deserves is separation from God, ultimate, complete separation from God. And the great grace that we have in the covenant with Jesus Christ is that God does not deal with us to the measure and level of our iniquities. We deserve to be driven away. What God does is draws us close through Jesus Christ. But there is a point. There is a point at which people who say, I don't want Jesus. I want something else more than I want Jesus, where God will eventually say, okay, okay, I'm going to let you have it. You've dug a pit. And, and what we find out is in the end, that thing gets burned up, mm-hmm. and I get burned up along with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm in the fire with it. And you go and down in the pit. I, I remember Psalm 1. Psalm mm-hmm. 1. Remember we mm-hmm. said Psalm 1 was the gateway to all of these psalms. And if you remember way back now, almost two months ago, at the end of Psalm 1, we recognized it said something different than we might have thought. It didn't say the wicked perish. It says the way of the wicked perishes. In other words, this way that I've chosen that seems to promise life, that way itself is destroyed and ends in destruction. And so what happens when I'm walking on that way, Mm -hmm. I end up being destroyed. Mm -hmm. I dig my pit, I fall into it. Mm -hmm. I think maybe one other thing real quick is that uh, before time gets away from us is, uh, is just to recognize the, the right attitude of the psalmist. We've kind of joked all week, this one's for you, Cush. Uh, but by David entrusting the Lord and calling upon the Lord uh, to be his, his judge here, um, David is not about setting a trap or digging a pit for Cush to come walk in. Good point. Uh, you know, D- David is practicing the right thing here and not returning kind for kind, but appealing to the Lord to do what is ultimately right. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening in on our conversation. We hope this is helpful to you. If you have any questions or if you'd like to tell us what you're learning from the Psalms, you can email us at text talk at christiansmeethere.org. Text talk at christiansmeethere.org. We ask a special favor. Could you rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast app? That would really help us out and it helps other people find text talk. And we'd love for you to share it with a friend. It would be really, really helpful to us to get these words about the Psalms out to other people. I think it can be really helpful to folks. We'd appreciate your help with that. Can we wrap up with a prayer? Glorious God, thank you so much for the day that we have as we consider your justice and your righteousness. And we understand, Father, that you are not a little two-year-old with temper tantrums that folks haven't played your way, so you pick up your toys and go home. Rather, you're the God who has demonstrated to us the way to life. And when we don't do it, yes, you have anger. But what your anger is, is actually leaving us up to our own devices. And help us to recognize the truly awful nature of our own devices, of the pits that we dig, uh, of the gallows that we make, of the sins that we pursue. When we follow the counsel of the wicked, the way perishes. Help us to recognize that and to, to get into your way. Lord, thank you for paving the way by the blood of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for talking about the text with us today. I'm Edwin Crozier, and I'd like to invite you to join the Christians Who Meet on Livingston Avenue this Sunday for our Bible classes and worship. You can find out more at christiansmeethere.org. Check out our daily written devotional that goes along with today's episode. You can find a link for it in our show notes. Michael Eldridge wrote and sang all four parts of our theme song. You can get more from him at acapeldridge.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so others can learn about it more easily. Have a great day. 